There are some things in life that you love to hear, and there are other words that we don't like that are hard to hear. For example, we don't want to hear words like this, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> or there's this phrase, you just missed the flight. Nobody wants to hear those words. Nobody wants to hear these words, especially this time of year. Would you like to try that in a larger size? <laughs> or how about this one? Are you available to work overtime during the holiday season? Nobody wants to hear that one. Then there are some words of Jesus that are extremely hard to hear. I put them on the back of your listening guide, on your listening guide. In Revelation 2.10, Jesus said these words. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. It's a hard phrase to hear. Do not fear, Jesus said. Those are good words. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. And then he says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Now let me tell you the parts of that I like. Do not fear, and I'll give you a crown of life. In between, it gets tough. In between, it's like, wow, what, what is Jesus talking about here? What is it that is going on here? And I'm reminded of the phrase I've heard for years, and that is that we live in a generation that is looking for something that is big enough to die for. Have you found that something in life that is big enough to die for? And we're reminded today that God is faithful to us and He calls us to be faithful to Him. God is faithful to us in creation. God is faithful to us in salvation of sending Christ as our Savior. God is faithful to us by giving us the Holy Spirit. God is faithful to us to walk with us through the most difficult seasons and times and circumstances of life. God is faithful to us in all of life and then in death and then in life after death. God is faithful to us, and He calls us to be faithful to Him. In Acts chapter 6, we find the beginning of a story of a man that we're introduced to, a man by the name of Stephen. In Acts chapter 6, we talked about this last week, starting in verse 3, it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint this duty. You remember the duty was to serve tables, to, to meet needs, to serve in Jesus' name. So you appoint seven men who are full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we'll appoint them to do this very important task of service. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, the whole church. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things I'd like to be said about me. Among the things I would love to be able to be said about me, and I would hope that you would want to be said about you, is that you and I can be known as people of faith and people who are full of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you'd like to be that kind of person. Stephen was that kind of person. Now stand with me, if you will. Because we're going to talk about Stephen now in Acts chapter 7. The, the, we're introduced to Stephen in Acts chapter 6. Now in Acts chapter 7, we find the longest speech in Acts, recorded in Acts given by not Paul, the great missionary and pastor, but given by Stephen. 
This man that we've just met in Acts chapter 6, full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit and and faith, and now we find in Acts chapter 7, Stephen gives his life for the gospel. We've just met him and already he's being put to death for the gospel. Acts chapter 7. In fact, we're going to start in Acts chapter 6 and verse 8 and go all the way to the end of chapter 7 looking at Stephen who who has come to be known as the first martyr or the person to die for the cause of the gospel. In Acts chapter 7, verse 8, it says this, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. So here's what's going on. Stephen has been appointed as a deacon and now he is serving the Lord and God is using him in great ways. And and people, the Jews, didn't like that. And so it says here, they rose up and disputed with Stephen. They were arguing with him. Maybe they were arguing in a synagogue. Maybe it was on the street corner. Maybe it was in somebody's house. We don't know. We just know that these groups of Jewish people did not like the message of the gospel. And they said, this guy, Stephen, we're going to start arguing with him. We're going to, we're going to come against him. We're going to put him in his place. He can go back home. Verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. He being Stephen. They could not withstand the wisdom that Stephen was speaking, but they could not withstand the Spirit. Now, now notice on, on the screen there, you see that, that, that phrase, and in the Scriptures, Spirit is not small as Spirit, as in He had a lot of Spirit. It's capital S Spirit, as in He had the Holy Spirit. Throughout the book of Acts, we're reminded over 70 times that the reason these things took place was not the personality or the power of the people that we're reading about, but it happens because of the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit of God who was directing and empowering and providing for these things to take place. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was speaking. It reminds me of the fulfillment of the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 21 and verse 15 where Jesus said to the disciples, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You know who makes it possible? Jesus makes it possible. When you and I face circumstances where because of our faith, people rise up against us, we can count on the faithfulness of God to give us what we need in that moment to accomplish His good and His perfect will. Our Heavenly Father, today make us thankful for so many things and so many ways You've blessed us, especially as we look forward to Thanksgiving this week. We just ask and we pray that, uh, that we, we would be truly thankful But Lord, also make us thankful for your provision through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That as we face whatever level of attack and persecution because of the gospel, that we know that we don't do that on our own. But that you provide for us in our time of need, in that moment of testimony, you provide for us wisdom and spirit that will allow for your name to be glorified. Lord, thank you for the story of Stephen. Make us mindful that you want to use us in our homes, in our businesses, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, and with our social circles, what even this holiday season, to represent Jesus. 
Empower us by your Spirit. Give us wisdom. Make us, Lord, witnesses and testimonies for Christ. Whatever the cost may be, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please be seated. So in Acts chapter 7, I want you to notice now with me the next several verses, starting in verse 11. Let me outline very quickly for you the attack that took place on Stephen by these groups of Jews that had kind of banded together, or at least they agreed, we're going to take Stephen down, we're going to take Stephen out. So starting in verse 11, here's the attack of those who oppose the gospel. And understand this, those who oppose the gospel have always attacked those who present the gospel. Every generation. Those who oppose the gospel, the message of Christ, have always attacked those who present the gospel. So if I'm, as a pastor, presenting the gospel and the attacks come, guess what? It shouldn't be personal with me. I need to recognize it's because of the gospel. If you have a conversation with someone and you're sharing the gospel the best you know how with the, with the, with the passion of your testimony and the, and, the, and the power of the Word of God, and people don't like that, understand it's not about you. And Stephen understood it wasn't about him. So what did they do, these groups of people? Uh, verse number 11. Then they, number one, they secretly instigated men. They instigated, stirred up. They got a hold of those with bad attitudes and whipped them up and stirred them up. That's how we know that this was a Baptist church. Amen? <laughs> and they stirred up men, instigated men who said, quote, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. If you want to stir people up in that day, you accuse somebody, they're talking bad about Moses, and even more, they're talking bad about God. That's what they were saying. Secondly, verse 12, and they stirred up the people, not just certain men who would talk about it, they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. They, they started, they planted little things here and little things there, and little things grow into bigger things, and people start talking, and the word gets out, and then people are murmuring. You know what murmur is, right? Everybody say the word murmur together. Ready? One, two, three. Murmur. Now say it over and over again. Ready? Murmur. That's what murmuring is right there. <laughs> out in the community, out in the church, everybody just telling to their neighbor back and forth. They stirred that up. And then thirdly, verse 12, they came upon him. They swooped in, just like the Jews did on Peter and John. They swooped in, verse 12, and they, number four, they seized him. They grabbed him. And then fifthly, they brought him before the council. They dragged him in. And, and, and if you're reading the book of Acts from the beginning in one sitting, you're saying to yourself at this point, here we go again. These Christians are preaching and proclaiming. These other Jews and others don't like it. They're rising up. And one by one, Peter and John and the disciples, and now Stephen, they're dragging them before the council. Here we go again. And verse number 13, uh, then they, notice this, lastly, number six, they set up false witnesses. Those who speak against the gospel, they have to instigate people to tell lies. That's the first thing they did. And the last thing they did, they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. He's talking bad about the law and about the temple. Verse 14, For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, this Jesus guy who who's, was put to death on the cross, this Jesus whose followers are stirring everybody else up, this, they've, said, they've heard him say, this Jesus will destroy this place, this temple, and change the customs that Moses delivered to us. This man, Stephen, is a troublemaker. The accusation against Stephen was simply this. He spoke against Moses. He spoke against God. He spoke against the temple. He spoke against the law. And so they stirred all that up 
about Stephen. Now, what did the Bible say about Stephen? He was full of faith. He was full of wisdom. He was full of the Holy Spirit. God was using him with signs and wonders, whatever they were. And a lot of people were responding to the message of the gospel because of Stephen. Well, what about in our day? How is it in our day that people are being stirred up against believers and followers of Christ? I went online and did a Google search, uh, something to the effect of people who criticize Christians or criticism of Christians. And I found several little articles. And basically, what are people saying negatively against Christians? Because we, like Stephen, are bearers of the truth, are we not? We, like Stephen, have the Word of God. We, like Stephen, have the message of the Gospel. We, like Stephen, have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We, like Stephen, can have within us a great faith and a great power and a great wisdom that God gives. Not because of who we are, but, who, but, but what God gives. So I asked the Internet, what are people saying negatively about Christians? Here's a few of the things that I just made a list. The Christians today on the Internet are being accused of being prejudiced, narrow-minded, homophobic, hypocritical, intolerant, judgmental, money-hungry, hard-hearted, discriminatory because they hold Christian values. Everybody say amen. That's what we want to be, right? I don't want to be these things. I don't think we are these things. You know what I think is happening today? I think there's some people that read Acts chapter 7 and what they did to Stephen, and they're doing the same thing to us. They're stirring things up. They're instigating. They're saying things that aren't true. And they're pointing it at us in the same way that that was happening with Stephen. In fact, you've heard me talk about over the last couple of weeks this this religious transformation of a rap artist, Kanye West. You remember me talking about that last couple of weeks as well? And and as far as I know, it appears that he he has had a genuine conversion. It appears that his life is mirroring what the gospel says happens when someone comes to Christ. It appears like his testimony is true. Everything I've seen and heard in, 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 in Rolling Stone magazine, which is a prominent periodical in our nation, Rolling Stone magazine, October 25th, 2019, just a couple of weeks ago, had, a, had an article which said, and I quote, for religious reorientation. I like that. They didn't say he became a follower of Jesus Christ. He's undergone religious reorientation. For religious reorientation, Kanye West is currently facing the harshest criticism of his career. He's a national figure. He's in the media And it's happening on a national scale. I applaud him for being willing because as the criticism has come, he has simply said, Jesus has changed my life. I don't know if you've seen this or not or watched it in the news, but he is a national example of what's happening under the radar of the media all across our nation and has been when somebody dares to to live a life that has been, what's that phrase? Religiously reoriented. When someone dares to live that life, they come under criticism. And sometimes the harshest criticism of our lives. Now understand, if we act in offensive ways, then we may bring criticism on ourselves for how we act. We should not be known for being criticized for that. If you act ugly and you're rude and people say things, hey, you're rude, that's on you. But if you're living out the gospel and the criticism that comes against you is because of the gospel, that's what we're talking about here. So, so they drag Stephen in, and in chapter 7, verse 1, and the high priest said, are these things so? Is it true? Is it true, Stephen, what they're saying about you? And Stephen said, verse number 2, 
Verse starting in verse number two, going all the way to the end of chapter seven of Acts, the longest speech recorded in Acts is recorded right here with Stephen. And Stephen uh, gives a response to the Jews and he teaches us and them about the faithfulness of God. Now, I don't have time to cover about 100 verses in, the, in this two chapters here this morning. I would encourage you to go back and study and spend some time in here. Let me outline it for you very briefly. There's two things that Stephen, two points that Stephen made here in this passage. The first is, in the first 38 verses, we see Stephen made the point that God is faithful. Somebody say that with me. God is faithful. Now, don't you close your eyes. Just, for, just close your eyes. Nobody's going to come up and do anything to you. Just close your eyes. Now, I want you to think about this fact. God is faithful. God is faithful. And I want you to repeat after me. God is faithful. Ready? God is faithful to me. Let's say that again. God is faithful to me. God is faithful to me. Now, you can open your eyes now. I don't want you to go to sleep or, or get distracted. So, so God is faithful to me. Now, remember, Stephen was accused of speaking against Moses, against God, against the temple, and against the law. And so Stephen simply starts at the beginning. He says, you're accusing me of speaking against all these things? Well, let's just go back to the beginning and let's run through the history of the faithfulness of God. And that's what he does throughout this first part of Acts chapter 7. And he gives several examples of prominent people there from the, what we would call the history of the Old Testament, how God has worked up until that time uh, in history. Let me give you, he gives several examples. For example, he, he talks about the example of Abraham. The example of Abraham proves that God is faithful, verses 1 through 8. Several things about Abraham. Let me point them out quickly. God called Abraham out of Haran and into Canaan. So Stephen goes back and he says, listen, all the way back to Abraham, we know that God called him. God, God spoke to him. And uh, starting in verse number 2, it says, Stephen says, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land I will show you. God said to Abraham, I'm going to show you somewhere I want you to go. Verse number 4, Then he, Abraham, went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which we're now living. How did we get here? God called Abraham and said, go to a place I'll show you. And Abraham wound up right here. That's how we got here. God is faithful. Then he says about Abraham that God made a covenant with Abraham to give his offspring the promised land. Once Abraham got to that place, God says, I'm going to give you and your offspring this land. There's only one problem. Ab or two problems. Abraham was old and he had no children. So now God's got a problem, doesn't he? God doesn't have any problems. There's a circumstance going on. So God made a covenant with Abraham and says to him, I'm going to give you and your offspring this land. This is going to be your place. Verse number five. Uh, he gave him no inheritance of it, not even a foot's length, but he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him that though he had no child and he was old, I'll throw that in there, and God spoke to to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. But I, but I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. God says to Abraham, your offspring are going to inhabit this land. Abraham says, I'm old and I have no kids. God said, doesn't matter. 
He says, your offspring will inhabit this land after they're enslaved for 400 years. I will judge that nation, bring them here, and they will worship me in this place. Your offspring will. God is faithful. Can I get amen to that? God is faithful. Then we see in verse 8, God gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision as an outward sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham and his offspring. And then we see and also in verse 8 that God gave Abraham a son, Isaac. I love Isaac's, the meaning of Isaac's name. You know what Isaac means? It means laughter. You know why it means laughter? Because when God told Abraham and Sarah, and it says about Sarah, I didn't say this, the Bible says this about Sarah, that she was as good as dead. <laughs> she was old and good as dead. Here's Abraham, 99, Sarah, somewhere in that range. She's as good as dead. And God said, you're going to have a baby. Sarah laughed, and so they named the baby Isaac, which means laughter. And Isaac came and he became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs his 12 children became his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel God is faithful and he demonstrated that through Abraham then we see God is faithful through the example of Joseph verses 9 to 16 God gave Joseph three things in his life God gave him his protection when the difficulties came God gave Joseph that his presence to let him know that he was there with him. And God gave Joseph a promotion unlike any promotion that we've ever seen. From the dungeon under the, under the, the palace to, to being second in command over all the country. God did that for Joseph. He was born as the favorite of the twelve sons of Jacob. He was the favorite uh, there. And then he was sold as a slave into Egypt by his brothers. That's the promise that God made to Abraham being fulfilled. How they would go and serve another country. That was Egypt. And then he was elevated to become the prime minister. And God did that. How do we know? Because God is faithful. Then there's the example of Moses. I love this one. They accused Stephen of speaking against Moses. Verses 17 to 38, uh, it talks about the example of Moses. Don't have time to get into all of it, but I'll point this out. That, that first of all, Moses spent his first 40 years in Egypt. And out of being a, a, a child born into slavery that was supposed to be killed because they were killing all the male babies, God promoted him from a slave to a prince because Pharaoh's own daughter adopted Moses into her house. Verse 21 there says, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. A boy that was supposed to be killed now is the prince of Egypt. Do you know why? Because God is faithful. That's his first 40 years. And the next 40 years he spent out in the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, after God had promoted him, in the wilderness it, the, it, God, uh, God prepared him. Took him from being a prince to being a shepherd. Verse 29, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Verse 30, Now when, he was 40, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a fire in a bush. So Moses wasn't called by God to lead the children of Israel out until he was 80 years old. You think you're ready for retirement? 80 years old, just getting started. Amen? Then Moses spent 40 years leading Israel into the promised land. And he discovered that God empowers those whom he calls. From a shepherd of sheep to now being a shepherd of God's people. Verse 35 says, This Moses, 
whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man, Moses, God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. You know why this happened? Because God is faithful. D.O. Moody, a pastor from the 1800s, said it, about, said it this way about Moses. Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. That's when he was brought up in the courts of Pharaoh. Then 40 years in the desert realizing he was nobody. Then 40 years learning what God can do with a nobody. You know why? Because God is faithful. The accusation was that Stephen spoke against Moses, God, the temple, and the law. The response of Stephen, if you go back and study that passage, I've glossed over all too quickly, you'll find that Stephen affirmed Moses as the receiver of the law and as the prophet. In verse 37, Stephen said, This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Moses prophesied, predicted the coming of the Savior, who was Jesus. That's what Stephen's saying here. Stephen also affirmed who God is, verse 2, as the God of glory. He affirmed the tabernacle, verse 44, as the meeting place with God in the wilderness. He affirmed the temple as a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. Stephen affirmed everything they accused him of being against. Do you know why? Because when people make false accusations against you, all you have to do is stand on the truth. That's all you have to do. And then Stephen affirmed the law. He said, you received the law, the law of God. And then Stephen threw this in, but you did not keep it. That's why they were upset with him. He accused them of not keeping the law that God had delivered to them. So looking back at history and looking back at what Stephen affirmed and looking at our present circumstances now and looking at our circumstances going forward, you know what we can, we can conclude? God is faithful. Say it again with me. Ready? God is faithful, and we can tag that line, to me. God is faithful to me. But don't you notice the second part of this, this passage? Stephen's sharing them. He, he, didn't just, he didn't just defend what they accused him of. Now he turns the page, and not just talking about God is faithful, but now he says people are rebellious. Now he gets in trouble. People are rebellious. God is always faithful. People are always rebellious. Now I don't want to hurt your feelings. This includes me and you too. People are always rebellious. And, and Stephen affirmed the hard-hearted rebellion of people against a holy and a righteous God. He affirmed that God's people rebelled when they had the tabernacle in the desert. See, God had given them the, His presence through the tabernacle, but they rebelled against Him there. Uh, starting in verse 39, Our fathers refused to obey Him. That's Moses. But they thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. They turned back to where they were coming, where they had, God had delivered them from. The same way today, sometimes people turn away from following God and turn back to their old lifestyle. Verse 42, but God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. In other words, God simply allowed them to make their own choice. And they chose to worship the stars and the trees and the cows and the golden calf. God said, go ahead. You'll reap the benefits of it. Verse 44, our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. God gave them the tabernacle and his presence, and the people still rebelled and turned away from God. Stephen says, you know what people are? They're rebellious. 
Also, we see God's people rebelled when they had the temple. The permanent dwelling place where God was, where the Holy of Holies was, where, 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 where people worshipped God and the sacrifices were offered. Verse 47, it was Solomon who built a house for him. That's God. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place will be my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? I made these things. Do you think that you can build a, a place as spectacular as it might be? Do you think you can build a, a finite place where I will be when I own and have made everything? And yet that's where God chose to dwell, to meet with His people there in the temple. And even so, if you read the history of Israel over and over and over again, they rebelled against God even though they had the temple. And we see in verses 51 to 53, as we kind of turn even towards today and think about our, our uh, current circumstances, that people rebel when the gospel is presented. When the gospel is brought forth, there are those who will embrace the gospel. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that when, when the gospel was presented to me, not the first time, not the second time, it might have been the hundredth time. But as the gospel was presented, God worked in my heart. As the gospel was presented to you, if you're a follower of Jesus, then God worked in your heart and He brought us to faith in Christ. But there are those who, when the gospel is presented, will rebel against the gospel. And the Bible says that they rebel against the Holy Spirit. They resist Him. The Holy Spirit of God is drawing people to Christ. And sometimes people feel that pull and they turn and go the other way. They reject the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 51. You stiff-necked people. That's a good thing for a preacher to say, isn't it? You stiff-necked people. Uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. This is why he got stoned. This is why he was put to death. Because in the face of his enemies, those who were resisting the Holy Spirit, he accused them of resisting the Holy Spirit. Not only that, he said, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Your daddy resisted the Holy Spirit. That's why you resist the Holy Spirit. He was a bad guy. That's why you're a bad guy. That's why he got stoned, by the way. But he was telling the truth. I also would point out that the rebellious persecute and kill. Because they've rebelled against God to the point where they're willing to persecute others, even taking the lives of others. I've repeated this several times and I'll continue. We live in a day and a time where Christian ministries are, 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 are putting out there and reminding us that this is the greatest time in all of history for the physical persecution of Christians. Beatings, imprisonment, and death. More of it happens right now today in our world than any other time in history. Verse 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not prosecute? Which of the, of the, of the, of the prophets did your fathers not put in jail? Which of the, of the prophets did your father not persecute and, and even taking their lives? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. You see, God did not suddenly decide to send Jesus. That was the plan all along. And as he spoke to his prophets and through his prophets, down through the generations, they were announced that God is going to send his Messiah. And those were among the ones who were persecuted and put to death by the Jews. Why? Because they resisted the Holy Spirit and they persecuted and killed the people of God, even including Jesus, the righteous one that he says there in verse 52, whom you now betrayed and murdered. You, he says. You killed the righteous one that was prophesied by the prophets for all these generations. They were rebellious. 
But also notice about the rebellious that they disobey God's law. They, they just, they're disobedient. And uh, verse 53, you who receive the law as delivered by angels, the angels of God gave you the law of God and you have not kept it. Unrepentant people, those who are unwilling to turn from their sin, unrepentant people often turn on the messenger of salvation because the message of salvation calls out their sin and they are unwilling to confront their sin, so they turn on the messenger. The rebellious also are angry at the message of the gospel. They don't like it. The message of the gospel is simply this. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. God, in His grace, for generations told us the Savior's coming. He pictured it in the sacrifice of the Lamb every day at the temple. He pictured it in, in the curtain. He pictured it in, in, the, in the wash basin. He pictured it in the showbread. He pictured it in the lampstand. He pictured it in the altar vents. He pictured it all over the place. He said, one day, I'm going to send a Savior. And there are those who get angry at the gospel when we recognize that God has indeed sent that Savior who was Jesus who fulfilled all of what God prophesied. Verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. They weren't just upset. They were enraged. You ever seen somebody that's enraged? I mean, just eyes beady and wrinkles in the forehead and sweat pouring down and fingers pointed and voice gets all tore up and, and they were enraged. And I love this next part, verse 54. And they ground their teeth at Him. Now turn to your neighbor and grind your teeth. I think, I think what this means is not just as they said, that's not what they did. It's they were so enraged and they looked upon Stephen and they were so upset by what he was saying and the message of the gospel, it was almost they were saying, they were mad. They were mad. Verse 55, but, I love this part, in contrast to these men who were so enraged and gritting and grinding their teeth at him, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, I love this part, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of God standing at the right hand of God. The rebellious are angry at the message of the gospel. Not about Stephen. It's not about Stephen. It's not about me. It's not about you. If people get upset with the message of the gospel, that's between them and God. But sometimes they turn on us as the bearers of the message. And so what should we do? Turn and walk away? Go and hide? Don't want to offend anybody? No, we live the gospel and we share the gospel and the chips fall where they may. That's what we're called to do. But notice this, the rebellious attack the messenger. I don't like having to say this. I don't like having to be the, the recipient of any of these attacks. But the, the rebellious against God attacked the messengers of the gospel. Verse 57, but they, here's what they did. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped up their ears with their hands. They rushed together at him and they cast him out of the city. They threw him out and then they picked up rocks and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now remember that name Saul. After Christmas, we'll get back and talk about him. And as they were stoning Stephen, they were enraged. They were tore up. They dragged him out. They ground their teeth. They threw stones. And they killed him. That's what they were doing in response. What did Stephen do? What would you do in, in response to all of that? Stephen, verse 59, he called out. He didn't say, oh God, deliver me. 
He didn't say, oh God, strike them down with lightning. He didn't say that. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. They're killing me. I'm going to die. Oh Lord, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. How much grace of God in that moment to have said what he said, to tell the truth of the gospel, to confront the people of their sins, to, to be bearing the wrath of those people to the point of death. And he says, God, don't hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep, which is a nice way of saying he died. They stoned him until he was dead. And as he was dying, he said, Lord, don't hold this against them. Because he knew, he understood the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in his life at that moment let him die with the grace of God. I'm not praying that I'm going to die like Stephen did. I'm not praying that you'll die that way. But that whatever circumstances the Lord puts us in, that we would have the power of God, the wisdom of God, the presence of God to confront in truth any who would come against the gospel. But to do so with such grace that if they themselves turn on us to kill us, we're able to say, Lord, it's in your hands. It's in your hands. Don't hold it against them. Oh God, help me to simply live and even die for you. Let me give you three lessons real quick as we get ready for our last song and the end of the service here. Three lessons. One is God has been faithful in the past. Aren't you thankful that God is faithful in the past? We see it in Abraham. We see it in Moses. We see it in Joseph. We see it in Jesus. And we see it in Stephen. God has been faithful in the past. We know He's been faithful. Faithful. Aren't you thankful that God has been faithful in the past? And because we know He's been faithful in the past, we know secondly that God is faithful here and now. That's why we can say God is faithful to me. That's how I can throw that part in there. He's faithful to me. And I know that because He's been faithful in the past. And if He's done it in the past, He's going to do it now. God saves those who hear and believe the gospel. Even the most rebellious against God can be saved by the grace of God. Even those walking the farthest away from God, those who, who ground their teeth, those who get angry at the message of the gospel, they themselves can be saved by the message of the gospel because God is faithful even to the point of those who are rebellious against Him. And He empowers us by His Holy Spirit and He uses us for the gospel. And I say this, that serving God Serving God, a God who is faithful, is life-altering. When we decide to follow Him, our lives will never be the same. They'll be better, but won't be the same. And sometimes our lives are altered, and sometimes our lives are ended, even to the point of death. Something big enough to die for. I believe when we get to heaven and Stephen is sharing his story there in the, in, in the halls of heaven, I believe that we're going to sit and we're going to listen to his story. And I believe at some point he's going to say, I found something big enough to die for. But Stephen, you were a young man. Stephen, we don't know if he had a wife or kids or a business. We don't know anything else about it. What we know is he spoke up for Jesus and he was stoned to death for it. I believe Stephen will say, I found something big enough to die for. And the question is, have we found something big enough to die for? The gospel is big enough to die for. Thirdly, I'd, I'd point out to you as a lesson, God is faithful in eternity. Not just in the past, not just in the present, but in eternity. 
Revelation 2 and verse number 10. Ladies, if you would get in place. Revelation 2 and verse 10 says, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto death. And Jesus said, I will give you the crown of life. I want to encourage you to listen to the words of this song, encouraging us to remember the faithfulness of God.
Go ahead and close your eyes for just a moment to get alone with you and the Lord. Right now in your own words, would you just thank God and remember the ways that He's been faithful to you over and over again? And just within your own heart, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to me. And in this moment, would you find your words to say to God, somehow, Lord, I want to be faithful to you. Lord, I want to be faithful to you in my home. Lord, I want to be faithful to you in my job. Lord, I want to be faithful to you in whatever your circumstances are. Take just a moment in the quietness of this moment to just remind yourself of his faithfulness to you and tell him, Lord, I want to be faithful. Whatever's come my way, whatever's going to come my way, Lord, I want to be faithful to you to the point of death itself and discover that it was all worth it because the gospel is big enough to die for. After I pray, our service will come to a conclusion. Al's going to come and say a few words and he'll dismiss us out. And as he does, Al's going to be available here at the front and your connect group leader may be available. Hang around if you would and just find somebody to talk to, to pray with to encourage you in some way in your faith as you take steps of faithfulness to the Lord who's been so faithful to you. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to me and to us in spite of rebellion. In spite of the rebellion, Lord, that we have against you because of our sin. Thank you, Lord, for saving all of the rebellious who come to you in faith, turning from sin and trusting Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for using us to reach the rebellious. And may we determine to do so in all of our life and even to the point of death. Thank you that the gospel is big enough to die for because it brings eternal life to all those who believe. And we'll thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.